0: You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play-By-Play Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Okay. Nobody's fact-checking it. Just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is
1: Happy Gilmore? Got all camera right john sure i did all right because the red light was not on the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play
0: broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster
1: oh you can stick me in some kind of italian boat because that one is gondola
0: now from new york really all the big ones are from new york your host joe godet it's still joel yeah he will not
1: be able to see very well cotton hey how you doing just hanging out At home,
0: kind of quiet. Welcome back into Play-By-Playcast, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. This is a podcast about Play-By-Play broadcasters for Play-By-Play broadcasters, hosted by a Play-By-Play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best Play-By-Play announcers in the business. My name is Joel Godet. You can find the pod on social media at PXPCast. Email me at J-G-O-D-E-T-T at bsu.edu, just kicking around at home this week. We do not have official work-from-home orders at Ball State University. However, we have been advised that if you can work remotely, you can try to work remotely. So I I literally picked my computer up out of my office this week, and I brought it home, and I have all my hard drives, and I've rolled out of bed at 8.45 in the morning the last couple of days. I've been in the office by 9. Got a little 10 minute shower in, throw some clothes on, grab a little breakfast, put it down next to me and just start editing, doing some video stuff this week. It is, It is, I'm not going to lie, remarkably convenient, really great, getting stuff done, haven't even turned the TV on, just locked in, I got a couple different computers open up in front of me, doing some different projects, I'm getting a lot of work done, you know, I, I kind of like this whole deal, a little lonely, but I kind of like this whole deal. I will say though, I was editing uh, Ball State basketball's one shining moment tonight, and uh, like if I was at work doing that, I would have I would have left at five, five thirty. Um, I just kept going till eight forty five, nine o'clock tonight. So, the work from home thing has its benefits, but like all these people are Instagramming how they've like I've got all this free time now that I'm working from home, and I. I'm. I just. I did nothing else except work today, which is sad. Anyway, let's dive into a, our podcast. I have record. I've recorded our podcast today too, so that I have done this, and I recorded an episode today also. So I guess I did that also, but otherwise, that counts as work. That's that's. This is. It's a professional development podcast. I'm professionally developing. Hopefully you guys all are as well, too. Uh, our guest today is Kevin Kugler. He is one of the uh, major voices for Westwood One Radio and the Big Ten Network. He is the voice of the Final Four on Westwood One and would be the voice of the Final Four in the NCAA tournament on Westwood One this year, except that we don't have one. Um, But Kevin has been with Westwood One calling NFL games, calling the NCAA tournament. He's also a big guy with Big Ten Network calling a lot of their major football and basketball games. He's done the Olympics. He's done the Masters. He's done Major League Baseball on Fox Sports. He has done college basketball on Fox Sports. We have what I think is a pretty insightful conversation about calling games on the big stage, dealing with the Final Four. We talk about what he's dealing with right now with no Final Four. Uh, we, We dive into being himself Working with some pretty high-level partners, Bill Raftery, John Thompson. He's worked with Bill Walton. Um, Talk about his style. We talk about storytelling. We talk about preparation because Kevin calls so many games and is always on the move. How he keeps everything straight, uh, doing some radio and doing some television. Uh, Talk about opinion in play-by-play as well. A really wide-ranging conversation with one of the absolute best guys to do this. Uh, on television and on radio, but particularly on the radio side of things. Uh, a lot of fun to sit down with Kevin Coogler this week at a time when he normally would not have the time to do this with us. So uh, really honored that uh, he was able to make some time, now that he has some, uh, with us this time of year. Kevin Coogler of Westwood Run Radio and the Big Ten Network is our guest on episode number 170 of PXPCast. Tell me what you're doing right now. <laughs>
1: Uh, I am currently sitting in front of my computer uh, where I thought this week I would be preparing for the NCAA tournament, which was supposed to start for me with interviews on uh, on Thursday and games on Friday. Instead, I am going through my emails and deleting stuff that has accumulated over the past year that this is normally a task I do in May, maybe (laughs) April sometimes. Um, now I'm doing it in March, in the middle of March, which I hope never to be doing again in the month of March. Uh, but this is the this is the spot we're in right now. There's not a whole lot of options right now, with no sports happening anywhere in America. I
0: didn't know if you were just still preparing anyway, in like a, a, a way of coping. <laughs> like I'm just going to pick some teams, and make some charts, and we'll go from here.
1: Yeah, you know, I'd thought about doing that, but then I thought, gosh, you know, when I talk to Joel, that's going to sound even more pitiful than what it is now, which is cleaning out my email. So I figured I would just stay with the course that I'm on right now, which is going through emails and, uh, you know, trying to to stay optimistic that we're going to get back to this goofy world of sports sooner rather than later. That's the hope. What was your um,
0: process or how did you learn about, Everything that happened and and how did it hit you uh, in real time and and at games
1: well it's it's a bizarre thing because it feels like it's a lot longer ago that this happened but you know a week ago today and as we talk it's March 16th uh, Monday afternoon and a week ago today I was traveling home from calling the final regular season game of the year in Iowa Illinois for BTN so I'd finished that game and I was on my way home and I got home on a week ago, Monday, and started immediately digging in for prep, not only for the Big Ten tournament, but for the SEC tournament, which I was doing for Westwood 1 on uh, the same weekend at Big Ten games Thursday, Friday, or so I thought, and uh, SEC games Saturday and Sunday. And so I'm, you know, we got our prep done here, and I moved on to. Indianapolis, and I went to the games Wednesday night on March 11th, the original opening games where there was a full crowd on hand, and Indiana fans were out in full force to watch the Hoosiers play, and Red Panda was on hand for what turned out was her final performance of the year, and I went back to the hotel that night, and Thursday morning uh, got up and was concerned because we'd had Utah Jazz players coming up with coronavirus the night before, and I thought, oh, this could be a problem, and But then Thursday morning, all was on and everybody was ready to go. And we were live at Indy and Brian Anderson and crew were getting ready to do the first two. I had the night session on Thursday night. So I was sitting on my hotel bed, um, going through some notes and jotting things down on my spotting boards that I thought I was going to be using that night for my two games. And then got the call at about, uh, what was it, 1145 a.m. on Thursday morning that the Big Ten tournament had been canceled and soon after the SEC tournament had been canceled. And so all of a sudden I went from seven games in four days to zero games in an indetermined, undetermined amount of days. So I am I quickly uh, packed up, got a flight and came home. And that's where I have been other than a couple of trips to the grocery store ever since. I mean, I, I have no, uh, to my knowledge, no exposure to the coronavirus, but I have pretty much self-quarantined because I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> uh,
0: is, is is this the craziest, I mean, it has to be the craziest thing you've ever been involved in from a broadcasting standpoint, maybe. Um, but also, I feel like there's there are those times where we as sportscasters get thrust into like a news roll. Um, did you have any like news reporter kick in in you in terms of information gathering and learning as much as you can, or I'm going to put a different hat on type mentality as all of this started to unfold?
1: I've had to do that before in events. This one I didn't because I wasn't on the air. So had I been on the air, it would have been a different story. We've had those kinds of things happen, whether it's on television for an injury or whether it's you know, radio for an injury or something like that, where you have, you have a field that you need to swap from a Sports reporter role to a little more of a news role um, and, I, and I'm not one of the most opinionated play-by-play guys out there. So it's really not a hard role for me to swap into the news role versus the sports role, because I I don't know that anybody's ever tuned into a broadcast to hear my opinion (laughs) on something. There's a reason they put an analyst next to me. And that analyst has the expert analysis next to his name. So uh, while I'm not afraid to give my opinion, I did sports talk for well over a decade and was asked to give my opinion every day for four hours a day. uh, It's just not the role I see currently for myself as a play-by-play guy. I know other play-by-play guys differ with that and that's fine. Uh, but I didn't, in this instance, have to do that because I wasn't on the air and I wasn't asked to go on the air at any point. That's one thing with the Big Ten tournament is that we had such a, a bevy of reporters there yeah. from Andy Katz to Mike Hall to a variety of other people who do this on a daily basis that I wasn't needed to go in and do anything like that.
0: All right. Well, I, I make sure we earmark the opinion thing because I want to come back to that at some point uh, as we get through sure. our conversation. Um, let me dive in uh, big picture, though, more to... Um, what is not the here and now with you, um, read a article in, I think it was the, the Nebraska alumni magazine that they wrote about you where they quoted you saying, I'm about at the limit of what I can do. Um, <laughs> what is, uh, what is the limit for you? And, uh, and, and how do you do all of the things that you do?
1: I don't, I don't know. I, I may have said that at a time and then I've always figured out a way to try to push it a little <laughs> bit more. But I, I, I look, I, I, and, I, and this is no different than anybody else who does this at any level. If you don't have passion for this, you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't care what level it is. It is because every game you go into is for the people participating in that game, the most important thing they're doing. And I've always felt like my job deserves to I, – I, I owe it to the people in the game and to the fans watching the game. That I give my very best for each and every one of those games, and so I try to bring that passion every single night. And you know, look, I I love what I do, and if I'm given the opportunity to do multiple games in a week or triple games in a week, you know, whatever the number is, I don't know that I've found my limit yet. I did 14 games, I think, in January, including football. I did 15 basketball games in the month of February this year, and it's why the it's why this has been so jarring is that you're just running at 100 miles an hour, doing game after game after game, and trying to bring the energy and the excitement and the passion for what you do. And to have it stop as abruptly as it has, that's been the biggest jarring thing for me, and I know for my colleagues in this business as well, to just get to the point where you're running breakneck and all of a sudden there's a brick wall in front. And you understand why the wall's there. I mean, this is not a criticism of any public health policy. I certainly understand why we've done it, but it is certainly a... It's a jarring moment when you realize, oh, boy, that's it. I mean, we ended that Iowa-Illinois game, and I had done, what, five games from Sunday, March 1, through Sunday, March 8, and that's it, and now you're done. So, uh, But, you know, I don't know what the limit is. I haven't hit the limit yet. I'm getting close maybe at some point, and maybe the day they did that interview, I was (laughs) feeling especially beleaguered (laughs) for whatever reason. Uh, Right now, on this day, If you told me I had nine games this week, I'd be like, let's do it. Here we go. Because I was planning for six this week with the NCAA tournament.
0: Is there a way you structure um, how you handle all of that in terms of, hey, if I know I've got a college game on a Saturday and an NFL game on Sunday and insert whatever else you've got, if you've got four or five games Mm -hmm. in a week, uh, how do you, so that you're most successful, set up how you prep
1: out a week like that? You, You have to have it organized almost to the hour. I mean, I, I, I get up on a Monday morning and you know during football season, I'm traveling back. I always take the first flight on Monday so I can maximize my amount of time at home. Monday afternoons, I split between getting a little bit of preparation done and actually reintroducing myself to my family after <laughs> having been gone. But then, you know, you dive headlong in first thing, Tuesday morning and you work into the night. Then you dive in Wednesday morning and in between conference calls with coaching staffs, you, get your stuff done. And then you shift gears. I mean, it's just just a, it's a matter of being as diligent as you possibly can. And then there's a certain amount of getting into a rhythm that helps that as well. You know, you get into sort of this role of, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable now. I know what I'm supposed to do on this day. And so it just sort of like any other job becomes a rhythm that you work your way into. And so, once I get into that rhythm mid September and on, it kind of—I and I don't want to say it's easy, but it becomes more routine to do what you have to do to get ready for those games.
0: I always kind of wonder, you know, like when all of the all of us that are thinking like, well, being a network guy is the greatest thing in the world uh, because you just have all this free time that you can schedule out to figure out how to prep for games, and then you wonder how like all those blocks are put together and uh, and making sure your your time is wisely spent. So that always that always fascinates me on that end. Um you may-
1: and and it, and it is one of those' It's, all, it's like any other job It's just right. all about organizing what you do. It's no different than when I was doing a talk show during the week and would call a game on the weekend. you just have to you just have to organize your time to be sure you're preparing perfectly, well, not perfectly, but at least adequately for every single thing that you're going on the air to do right
0: The other thing you said in there was that any game you're calling is the biggest deal in the world to the people that are a part of it um, and telling that story. And I wanted to get into that a little bit with you, um, because you're known as somebody that, that does that very well. And I'm curious how you, well, broadly speaking, how do you best tell a story? And then I guess we can kind of hone it in from there. What goes into a a well-told story on your end?
1: Uh, I I think it's, I think it differs by medium as well, because I can, as far as whether I'm on radio or television, um, because there are there's there's timing involved, obviously. Television gives you a little bit more opportunity, especially if your analyst is willing to join in on the storytelling with you, to be able to weave that story in. Because I don't, you don't worry about the the audience missing action. In those situations, you know, you, you try to tell a story on radio, and you can certainly do it on baseball on the radio because baseball on the radio is the ultimate storyteller's broadcast. But from the standpoint of doing a story in football and basketball on the radio, it becomes a little more of a abbreviated story. You 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 have to hit the high points quickly because you're the eyes and ears of the person who's listening to that broadcast, and you know it's great that you're telling the story, but I want to know the score, I want to know where the ball is, and I want to know what's going on in the game, so. Cute story about the quarterback there, dude, but tell me what the, if they scored a touchdown or not. Television, you get the chance, and this is something I've had to learn over the years since I've certainly done more radio in my career than television, but you have to learn over the years on on the TV side that you can expand and tell a story that has a little bit more weight to it because they're not going to miss at home a shot or a play or A foul call. I mean, they can see it. The the score's on the screen. I I don't have to continue to tell them as they're watching or listening, hey, this is the score and this is where the ball is because if I do that on television, the guy at home is going to sit, yell back at his TV, yeah, I know where the ball is. I know what the score is. I see it right there on my screen. So from a storytelling standpoint, television does lend itself a little bit more to that than a fast paced game on the radio where it's hard to interrupt a game on the radio with a story that goes on too long.
0: Do you plan out like, all right, this is something I, this guy's got a backstory I want to tell. How am I going to do it so that when it comes up, I'm ready for it? Or is it one of those things where I'm just going to know the facts and kind of feel
1: that out as we go? Here's it, this is kind of how I approach it. This is not a this is not an end all be all situation. It it varies by by story. But I will, and I tell my wife this all the time. When I'll come upstairs and be kind of rubbing my head, and she knows we've been married right a long time. She knows at this point, she's like you fall, you fell into a rabbit hole, didn't you? And I, and I and I do that every once in a while. I'll be prepping, and something will catch my eye. I'll read something in an article, or I'll see a statistic, and I'll start to kind of pull on that thread a little bit, which the Internet is dangerous with that, because you can kind of just weave and bob all over the place trying to find something else that goes with that thread, and sometimes you've wasted 20 minutes and come up with nothing. But every once in a while, you pull on that thread, and it leads you to this article, and this article leads you to this social media post and then this leads you to here and by the end of it you've got kind of a cool story that you've been able to pull together and so if it I've always approached it like this Joel if it interests me I hope it's going to interest somebody on the broadcast Um, and so that's kind of how I have approached these things Um, a a quick example so we had a game back in I want to say it was February it was Iowa Purdue and it was on BTN and it was uh, there it is I'm looking at my calendar in front of me February 5th the Iowa Purdue game, and and Purdue was not a team that I think most people know was going to put up a ton of points this year. This was not a team that was a offensive juggernaut this mm-hmm. season, and 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 without Carson Edwards at times over the last you know fifteen years, they have not always been an offensive juggernaut team. But at times this year, they really struggled to score. So we got started at shootaround or practice earlier that day, talking about the Iowa Purdue series, and my statistician who's a longtime Purdue you know, West Lafayette resident, Dick Boston had mentioned, he said, you know, there's only two times that Purdue has scored over a hundred points in a game and lost. And both of those games were to Iowa. And so we started talking about, well, that's weird that you'd score twice and lose to Iowa twice over a hundred points. But, but Purdue was averaging something like 68 points a game. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to look at this. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to jot a few notes down from this conversation it isn't going to matter. But I'm going to do it anyway just because, you know, it's February. Who knows? Well, that night, Purdue comes out and hits something like 474 threes. And they're just <laughs> raining threes down. And it's at halftime, and they've got a bunch of points. And I look at Dick next to me, and I say, this this 100 points thing could be a thing. And sure enough, we get into the situation where Purdue goes over 100 points in this game. and But they're going to win this time against Iowa. So it's their first time over 100 you know, they're not going to have their third str- their third loss in history over 100 points all to the Hawkeyes. So we t- start telling the story of one of those games that they lost, and Rick Mount had scored 61 points in the game. And this was prior to the three-point shot. Rick Mount scored 61 points for Purdue, and Purdue lost the game because somebody in the stands got mad at a call that was made on the court and threw something onto the court and the officials issued a technical foul against the crowd in West Lafayette that allowed Iowa to go to the line and win it with free throws despite a 61 point performance from Rick Mount Purdue scores over hundred points and loses to Iowa because some dude got mad and chucked something onto the floor back in the sixties. And that story was one that we had talked about at like 11 o'clock that morning. And it was one of those things where it was like, this is interesting to me. I'm never going to get the chance to use it. But I'm going to write it down because it's cool. And I kind of like the idea of the story. And so I'm, you know, dropping notes and looking up stuff and doing all this. And it turns out that night we had the time and it fit the, the situation perfectly to tell that story. And it made – for an interesting moment in an otherwise lopsided game. Um, And so the the thing I've always, and that's all that validates all the stuff I do. When I have one story like that, that shows up, it validates the 50 other times that I've pulled on a thread, come up with either something or nothing and had no chance to use it in a game. And so that's why you keep doing it. You keep wandering off on these tangents to try to figure out a way that, you know, if I need it, I have it. I, I don't, I don't ever go into a game going, I, w- I am bound and determined to tell this story, come hell or high water, regardless of the situation. There are some player stories you really want to tell, but if it doesn't fit, you know you can go in with a great intention to tell a Miles Powell story in a Seton Hall game. And if Miles Powell gets into foul trouble seven minutes into the game, you're probably not telling that story as he sits on the bench because that's not the story of the game anymore. The story is that Seton Hall's trying to win a game without Miles Powell. So, it, it, but it is one of those things that I I am I am very excited when i find something like that that might be able to be used in a game and i'm even more excited when i actually get to use it in a game and tell that tell those kinds of stories so long long answer and thank goodness this is a podcast a uh, long answer is that you know you you come up with as much stuff as you can and if it fits in the game in a great moment it really can add to a broadcast even broadcast that's a very lopsided one like that
0: now that's a conversation you're obviously having ahead of time too so that it's not just you telling the story, but then you can go back and forth. Or I guess when those are best told, you can go back and forth.
1: Oh, no question. If you can involve your analyst in it, and, and look, I work with a lot of really good analysts who, are, who enjoy telling those kind of stories and enjoy having those kind of moments. So it, it's not – I don't have to pull any teeth to get Stephen Bardo or Sean Morris or Robbie Hummel or you know any, Bill Rafter, any of these guys <laughs> that I happen to work with over the years – to dive into a story or to add a little flavor to that story. That's, that's, that's easy. And it makes the game and the broadcast sound better because you're having a conversation and, and look, if you, you have to go into every broadcast thinking about the audience for this game, you can't go into a broadcast thinking about, gosh, I hope I sound great. Or gosh, I hope, you know, this looks great. At the end of the day, the the reason we're doing this is to provide something to the person sitting at home, which is why I always go by the mantra, if if it's interesting to me, maybe it'll be interesting to them. I certainly hope it is because that's the whole goal in sharing a story like that is maybe you've given somebody something interesting. Uh, I I had Bill Ratford actually brought up something I had said in a previous game when we worked together at the end of February for Michigan State game. I was doing a Rutgers game. And one of the Rutgers players is from Chigwell, England. And I, you know, I I was, you know, I did five or six or seven or ten Rutgers games this year. I don't even know how many ended up doing. But I got curious one day. I was like, where in the world is Chigwell, England? I don't even know where this place is. And so I start looking it up, and it turns out Chigwell, England is a small town in England, but it happened to be frequented a lot by Charles Dickens. So I dropped that in some broadcast and I get Bill Raftery coming up to me before a game. And he goes, where in the world did you get Chigwell, England and this, and Charles Dickens involved in this. And it was a nothing comment. It wasn't even really a story. It was just, you know, for people wondering, blah, 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 blah. But it's those random things that can sometimes make an otherwise sleepy broadcast stand out a little bit more in the ears of an audience. And that's the ultimate goal is to provide something for the audience that you know, makes them at least think about that game again, or gives them a memorable moment from that game.
0: What's working with Raph like?
1: Uh, he's the greatest human being that I've worked with. I mean, I, and I work with a lot of amazing people, but Raff is generous. every story you've heard about Bill Raptory <laughs> is a hundred percent true. every every I mean, he is the the salt of the earth. He is one of the genuinely nicest human beings that I've ever worked with. And I mean, uh, I my first experience with Bill Raftery was at a. I started working with him in 2008 when I was named to the to the Final Four broadcast on Westwood One. It was my first year. It was the Memphis Kansas Chalmers shot uh, national championship game, which was a fantastic way to break in as a caller of the Final Four. Uh, and my and my broadcast partners were Bill Raftery and John Thompson, which was more than a little intimidating for a guy who just a few years prior to that had been calling division two basketball on the radio locally in Omaha. So it was a, it was a really cool thing. But the first game I ever did with him was Ohio state, Michigan. They paired us together for a random weekend game on Westwood one, just to have the chance for him to get to know me a little bit and for me to get to know him. So we, uh, we met that Saturday night. We stayed at the Weston hotel inside the Detroit airport and he con we contacted each other before said, I'm really looking forward to to working with you. Why don't you come down? Let's let's have dinner. And we sat in the Weston Detroit Airport restaurant for three some hours. Had an amazing dinner. Telling he's telling he was I say telling stories. He was telling stories. I was egging him on for more stories because he is he's experienced so many great things in his life, and it just it grew from there. And uh, he is uh, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to get the chance to work with him now little bit on TV and on radio side now that he's not doing the uh, the final four on radio anymore since he got the call up justifiably so to CBS and Turner for their uh, coverage of the national championship in the final four and it, it, he's it, it's he's one of those people that when you haven't seen him for months he makes it feel like you just saw him yesterday and that's a rare thing there aren't a lot of people who can seemingly pick up right where you left off the day before. And if that day before was yesterday or if it was eight months ago, Bill Raftery is that person.
0: How intimidating is it to work with a guy like that uh, or to work with a guy like John Thompson, um, particularly when you got started, as you said, I mean, it was just a couple of years removed from doing, you know, division two games and now you're doing the final four with these guys. Um, How intimidating can that be from a, just to be in their presence and feel like you're supposed to be there with them, but also kind of having that self-belief of being able to match wit with them to some degree and feel like you're providing something that's on the same level with them and getting yourself to that that right space.
1: Right, right. And I I think that's an excellent question because that was something I really wrestled with, especially going into – that final four. I mean, you you have to have a certain amount of confidence in your ability when you go into things, but there is a, there's little that prepares you from, for going into that situation at the final four. I mean, I I could, I I remember a lot about that 2008 final four. I was, I mean, I was very nervous going into it. I, I still get nervous every time I go to the final four. I'm so I'm heartbroken I don't get to do it this year and I and I know my my worries and concerns are pretty far down the list <laughs> in the in the grand scheme of the world right now but you know I'm I'm still going to allow myself to feel disappointment that I don't get to do it because it's really one of the true joys of my life every year is to get the chance to do the final four but that first year I remember walking into the into the building and you know again I'm who am I I'm some kid out of Nebraska that's been given this amazing opportunity. And I have, you know, got to prove, I, and I, I did feel like I needed to prove myself to my partners, if nothing else. I mean, they had been accustomed to working with greats all across the board throughout their entire careers. Well, they don't know who I am. I've been vouched for by the people in charge, but I've never been vouched for by them. So they don't know who I am. And so I walked into the Alamo Dome in San Antonio and I'm walking in and I walk by Bill Russell and I walk by all these people that are just, I mean, they're huge. I had to get up before the game started and just kind of take a lap around the building just to kind of calm myself down and say, you know, it's going to be great. You're going to do great. You're going to be fine. I'm going to kind of give myself a little, you know, Stuart Smalley pep talk here. You know, people, people really like you, you'll be fine. <laughs> and so then you come back and you settle in and then the game takes over fortunately. And But, but it doesn't work if you don't have, and it's, you know, doing a three man booth is tricky regardless, but doing it at the final four on radio is even more of a challenge and it doesn't work if the people in the booth with you don't work to make it work. And I am was extremely fortunate that neither Bill Raptory nor John Thompson needed to, Assert themselves to be the man on that broadcast because they've done so many things in their careers. It wasn't as if the 2008 Final Four was going to be their moment where they're going to nudge this kid out of the way and they're going to take over. I mean, John Thompson's in the Hall of Fame. He's won national championships. Bill no rapper he's called games from everywhere in the world, most likely in his career. Huge games, little games. He's been on the sidelines for big games. Neither one of them needed to say, oh, I'm, this is my opportunity to shine. So they welcomed me in, and they opened their arms, and they were so kind to me, and I've always appreciated that. And, I mean, I, I, John, I, I grew up watching John Thompson coach on the sidelines, this intimidating man with a towel on his shoulder, and now I'm sitting down next to him to call the Final Four. I, I love that man. And, and it's mainly because he's been so good to me over the years But both of them were so good to me at that first Final Four when I was nervous and I was, I don't want to say intimidated, but I was certainly cowed a little bit by the fact that, okay, I am here. I mean, it wasn't many years back that I was sitting in the rafters in Grand Forks, North Dakota, calling a basketball game. Now I'm at the Final Four courtside calling this game to an audience of five or 600 stations and, you know, all around the world. I mean, it was, it was, it was something, uh, it was a big, big moment for me. And then luckily the game was fantastic in the national championship game and everything kind of took over from there. But, uh, it was, it was a real big, um, boost to me to be able to do that. But I couldn't have done it without those two gentlemen being gentlemen, and opening up their arms to embrace me in that role, and since that time, it's it's just been a it's been a wonderful partnership and a wonderful relationship.
0: There's no fear that you're really going to like ask John Thompson a question and he's going to look at you sideways because it wasn't the right question at the right time. Well, I, here, here's here's
1: what I've learned about Coach Thompson over the years. I can ask him a question. <laughs> and he can look at me sideways, and it isn't going to matter. It's going to be funny. Uh, if my, that first year, oh, very much so. Very, I was like, I don't want to say anything wrong here. If, if you had told me, Joel, before the 2008 National Championship game, I'm going to give you the rundown of exactly what happens in the game, and you can script it out, I probably would have tried to script out start to finish how I called that game to make myself feel a little better about it. But, you know, there was really – there was really no script for any play by play, but certainly not for for a first national championship game but yeah that was there there were a litany of concerns going into that game that was one of them. I don't want John Thompson to say, "You're a moron and then move on to something else, so I was very careful with you know what I posed, how I posed it um I didn't want to say anything that was gonna you know the apple cart over. I just wanted to kind of keep everything on nice and balanced and, uh, and, and try to get through it without causing any troubles and try to keep the job for one more year. Uh,
0: let's talk about scripting things a little bit. Um, not that, sure. not that you script them physically, but in the moment, um, <laughs> let's like how you broadcast major moments in sports. Um, and if I can, I'll use, if I can use the 2016 um, Jenkins three to win for Villanova as kind of like the example um, in that moment or in big moments, um, what's running through your mind in terms of what the right thing is to say, um, what the right amount is to say and how that's all going to be pulled off so that you're happy with the end product and the end result.
1: Um, and that is something that you think about every single time you go into a big game. I don't write things down I don't sit down and go okay I want to come up with this or this or here's you know here's an index card with five top choices in case x y or z happens you can't do that I mean you can't you can't go into it and go all right now let's see if North Carolina hits a shot and they take a and then and, and then coming down Villanova comes back and hits a three right away what are you going to say in that moment when in North Carolina hits the shot and then how you there's it, I mean that's a fool's errand there's no way you're going to be able to do that so in those moments you honestly to me the the minimum is better can i you know don't get too crazy with what you do just call the action you see in front of you don't try to overextend yourself don't try to come up with cute in the moment because cute in a moment like that isn't going to work. It's going to sound like you sat down five days earlier and went, I'm going to write something cute. And maybe that'll be something I can use here. You have to just call the play that happens in front of you. And, you know, and, and then look at the end of a game, you want to, you know, here's who won now, all the, all the mechanics that we all do from whether we're calling a high school game to whether we're calling the national championship to whether we're calling the super bowl. to I mean, the mechanics don't change from game to game at the end of a game call in a dramatic moment, people who are listening need to know what happened, Hmm. what happened as a result of that play and what, and and kind of put the bow on it. I've always thought of a final call, especially in big moments like that as sort of a headline writer, I'm writing a headline for that play. And so I, my job is to sum up at the end of the play, for anybody listening, here's what happened, here's how they did it, here's the moment, this happened, and you know, I've been I've been lucky. I you know, I I did and I would advise this for any young broadcaster. I, I did sports talk for a long time. It allows you to learn how to ad lib. It allows you to learn how to speak freely and to flow freely over the course of four hours of talk or three hours of talk. You can script out topics. You can't script out every word you're going to say in a sports talk show. It really helped me learn the art of ad-libbing and the art of being creative in the moment. And so all that stuff applies to play-by-play. The two are not so uniquely opposite that you can't take one from one craft and apply it to the other. And that's sort of what you do at the end-of-game call is you you know, you, you call what's in front of you. And then if you've got something creative that you can headline, right. As a result of it, that pops into your head, well then do it. I mean, look, some of the stuff I've said at the end of games is better than others. Uh, Some of the, some of the time I'll go back and listen to an end of game call and I'll go, what was I doing there? And then other times I'll go back and listen to it and go, all right, that was pretty good. I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of liked that. And you know, I'm my worst critic as every one of us is in this business. We're all our worst critics. And so you go back and you listen to it and, you know, you listen to something you like and you listen to something you don't like. And you try to incorporate the thing you like later on. And you try to throw out the thing you don't like and avoid doing it again.
0: If I can get into the nitty gritty of that with you, um, like things that throughout the course of the season, like one of the things that I focused on myself was I tried to eliminate as many pronouns as I could. Like, I wanted to stop calling people he or she and start using their names more often so that if you caught a story mid-sentence, you still knew who I was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and that's, like, probably way too detail-oriented. Um, but are there things that that you think that you've paid attention to over the course of your career um, or that, you've, that, that you do now that separate what a Kevin Kugler broadcast what? sounds like compared to just anyone else's regular broadcast.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I don't really know. Uh, I, that's a hard question because I don't really know what my style would be compared to say Sean McDonough, who I think is one of the best going in this business right now, or Dan Schulman, or, you know, I, I, there are so many people in this business that I like right now that I think are so good at it. We are at a really good time as far as sports casting goes, because there are just a lot of really talented people doing this stuff and so I don't know where if you know you would say this is a defining characteristic of a Kevin Kugler broadcast I, I try to be accurate I try to bring energy um, one of the things that and to your nuanced point and I, and I like what you said about you know referring to name versus he or she because it is that is again that's being aware of the audience you have to be aware that your audience is cycling over. And this comes from my sports talk days that I bring in. You, You assume your audience is cycling through about every 20 minutes. Like you have a brand new audience every 20 minutes of a talk show and every 20 minutes of a football broadcast or basketball broadcast. I feel like it's the same thing. So you try to include that kind of stuff. One of the things that somebody said to me early on in this was I really like, and this was, you know, every one of us does this when we are starting out, you try to get, critiques or help from other people and you say, Hey, you know, listen to this and tell me what you think. And, and um, you know, one of the things that somebody had told me many, many years ago was I really like when you're calling a basketball game, you mention who's defending on the play. Hmm. So you, you know, know, X has the ball on the right wing and, uh, you know, Y in front of him, he passes it over to the left wing. Z's got it there, but D D runs out on him defensively. You know, those kinds of things, the whole every challenge for me and and, and I and I love play by play in every medium but I I do very much enjoy radio play by play because it's a challenge every night to figure out new ways to paint a picture and to provide that for somebody who's listening to the broadcast and obviously can't see it if they're driving or if they've you know they've, they need help seeing the broadcast for whatever reason and that's the challenges that I that I always find is you know what's a new way I can Say this and and that's another thing I try to look for is you know are there different words I can use am I becoming too reliant on certain phrases certain words certain twists is there you know I feel like I should bring a thesaurus in and now I have months to just go over this broadcast <laughs> so next year my gosh I could have a whole brand new vocabulary do, but, do you
0: do you have fav- um, do you have favorites
1: Favorite favorite thesauruses or well, favorite like, phrases? Uh,
0: yeah. is, is there a thesaurus you appreciate? Um, like Andy Demetra uh, at Georgia Tech told me once, uh, levitating for a rebound was the his like one of his favorite terms. Um, I don't know if there was anything that yeah, I,
1: you thought. was I don't cool. know that there's anything that I've found that I that I rely on more than others. Um, I, I do I do love the idea of levitating. One of the, one of the things that I like to do is try to figure out. Different ways to describe actions that occur. You know, if you're diving, dy- I can say 75 different times that he dives into the end zone for a touchdown. But can I figure out different ways to compare it? And as it, you know, and he belly flops into the end zone for a touchdown, and he somersaults into the end zone for a touchdown, and he, you know, he he, he cascades into the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, there are just different ways to say it that provide perhaps a little more flair. And and you know I don't want to sound like I'm you know putting pins on my shirt and uh, working <laughs> at the Applebee's and I need more flair, but I I really think that if you can utilize the language to give it a little more color or a little more interest, maybe it piques somebody else's attention to that broadcast. That's one of the things I always like to do. Is you know can I come up with different ways to describe something that is routine? As opposed to just say dives three yards forward or falls forward for three. I mean, it, and that's and that's a continual challenge. And it's and but that's the fun part of this business. I mean, if we were all satisfied every night with what we did on a broadcast, this, this would get to be monotonous very quickly. And so you you find different ways to challenge yourself and to make your broadcast better. And those are kind of some of the things that I've I've tried and will continue to try over the years. I want to get into the opinion
0: side of things with you. Um, we touched on at the mm-hmm. beginning because obviously that's not our role, um, but someone told me a couple of weeks ago to that, that it's not bad for a play-by-play person to have an opinion about something or to direct an opinion toward an analyst to try to elicit something more from them. Um, where do you think having an opinion about what we're watching factors in and, and how much would you say, um, you know, look look to John Thompson and ask if that's a hey you know I didn't think that was great shot selection where did that fall in your mind Um, or things of that nature
1: I, I try to and this is kind of where my news hat comes in a little bit I try not to lead too much with my opinion in the questions because I don't want to get into a situation where I'm trying to guide the analyst away from their opinion I want their opinion they're the expert in this so if and I and I ask plenty of questions, I, and that's to me, that's one of the best things you can do as a play-by-play guy to really get your analyst involved is ask questions. Ask, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier: is if it interests the audience, or if it interests me, maybe it interests the audience. So I, I try to ask a question mm. that might interest the audience because I'm interested in it. You know, uh, why, why did he, I don't understand why in the world would you go over that screen in that situation? Well, you know, now this is his chance or her chance to say. Well, this is why, because this, this, this. And then you can be looking at the replay. I have no problem looking at a replay and say, oh, boy, I don't know if that was a foul there. And then they can jump in and say, no, you're right. It doesn't look like a foul at all. Or, well, here's why it was. I don't like to necessarily lead. And I have never – and look, I know there are play-by-play guys who are fine with, you know, this is my opinion and this is what I think i'm not hosting a talk show on these broadcasts i am calling play-by-play i am a traffic cop i am making sure that my analyst on tv has the chance to shine it is an analyst's game on the tv side play-by-play guy is important but the play-by-play guy didn't just sign an 18 million dollar contract per year with cbs to do games that's the i'm I, I, while i don't lose any sleep over what jim nance is making i know tony romo signed with that amount of money because tony romo is the star Of the broadcast. The analyst is the star and there's the play by play guy. I need to make my play calls. I need to set him up for good analysis. And nobody is. I really don't believe there are more than a handful of guys in either role play by play or analyst role that people are tuning in to watch other than they want to watch the game. I really don't think anybody goes, Oh, Kevin Kugler's on the game. Well, boy, I'm going to get on that game right away. Or, Oh my gosh, Kevin Kugler's on that game. I'm going to throw a brick through my television. So I don't have to watch this game. I don't believe that happens either way. I really do believe there are, there's a handful of guys that maybe make people watch a game because they like the call. But I really think if you're going to watch a game, you're watching a game because you're the most interested in that game as opposed to anything else that's going on. So You know, uh, that's – nobody's tuned in for my opinion. I have no problem offering opinions. I have no problem having opinions. I have multiple opinions on a lot of different things. And as I go further and further down the abyss here in this uh, coronavirus time without having anything to talk about, I'll probably start spewing opinions on Twitter again. (laughs) But I I don't necessarily think that's my number one role when I'm in the broadcast chair.
0: Well on that note um there's a couple of questions that i i uh, I asked to wrap things up with uh with people and uh wanted to ask about people that you would tune in to watch are there folks that um you see as can't miss people when they're doing a game and and what is it about them that really attracts you as a viewer or as a uh contemporary
1: uh, i am a I am a big fan of people who Clearly, have a grasp on what's going on on a broadcast, um, and so you know Sean McDonough is a name I mentioned earlier. I, I don't know if I've ever heard Sean McDonough mispronounce a name. I, he's I, he's just he is really really good at 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 almost everything. He brings energy when he needs to. He is he's always been really good to me. I'm I'm just a big fan of him from a broadcast standpoint, and I enjoy spending time around him. Uh, Dave Pash is another guy. I really enjoy Dave's work. I think Dave is just solid in every single thing he does. Jason Benetti, really, really good in every single thing he does. Good storyteller. I enjoy him. I was reminded the other day, this is when we had sports that still existed in the United (laughs) States. I was reminded the other day at how good John Shambi is at calling baseball. I I just, I I think he is fantastic. Listened to him call spring training game just a few weeks ago. Uh, and I tweeted this at him. As a matter of fact, I, I was struck again by just how his 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 wit, his pace, his timing—really, really good. And and that doesn't—that's not easy to have in spring training. Spring training is a hard game to call. You got nine hundred different people wandering through at all times. And and I just think he's I think he's terrific at that. And then there's I mean I, I could go on and on. I, I really am. I really it's not an easy thing to please people in this craft and you're never going to please everybody. But there's just a lot of really talented people working today that I enjoy listening to their broadcast. I think they do a fine job. And, and, you know, those are just a few, I'm leaving out a ton of people that I would, if we had five hours to talk about just this, I, I could run down a list of guys, you know, who, who do a great job and who I really enjoy listening to. But those are just a few that pop into my mind right now.
0: Uh, are there a couple things you'd try to do on a daily basis to um, keep yourself sharp or to improve every day uh, as a broadcaster?
1: Um, I, you know, I read a lot, and that's one of the things I think you do. Not just sports stuff, but I, I, just, I, I read a, a variety of different books, fiction, nonfiction. You know, I'm in between books right now. Something tells me I'm going to have plenty of time. <laughs> to uh, To get myself going on a book uh, or ninety in the next few weeks. Um, so, but I, I do I read a lot. Um, I'll go back now and um, and try to listen to some of the stuff that I've done over the past year and give myself a little critique and you know think about different ways I could have been better on this role or that role. Um, you know, it's just it's sort of that. Self-evaluation period that I don't always have a lot of, so I guess this is a blessing in disguise. and I'm mean, gonna have plenty of time for that over the next few months to just kind of go through and and give myself a gauge as to okay, where do where am I at in in this and where am I at in that, and sort of assess my my position right now and, and see how I can get better once we get back to the the world of sports.
0: I spent the entire past weekend just listening to myself, which sounds really conceited when you don't know what we do for a living, but and maybe it is even still, um, but my ears were like bleeding by by last night, so
1: i uh, to- hey I, I understand a hundred percent I mean that's the only way we, well, it's one of the only ways we can get better. I, I will tell you this, and this will sound corny, but it's something I did when I was young at this at this broadcast game, and I will probably do it again just because I'll get bored uh over the next month or two is I'll I can see myself doing this I tell young kids to do it all the time and I'll probably do it again I could see myself hooking up the playstation putting the games on you know on self-play and basically calling play-by-play while I watch a Madden game or while I watch a college football game or while I watch a basketball game I mean that it's it's not the same and it's certainly not you know what I want to be doing right now but I could a hundred percent and I say, I could see myself doing it. I'm looking right now at the PlayStation, so there's a 100% chance that that'll happen. Uh, but I can see myself doing that with uh, with regularity over the night. I mean, there's only so many rooms in my house that I can clean and organize. And once I get done with that, I got nothing else to do.
0: So, but serious question, too. Like, how would you do that? Because, like, I, I always think about that in my mind. And like, when I was a kid doing it to the Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest, it kind of made sense, Um but like thinking about myself, well, I won't,
1: a... I won't prep. I won't go prep. I okay. mean, it's not like I'm going to build charts for a mad <laughs> game, but I have, I have been known to find a roster, an old roster and print it off and put it in front of me. I, I don't know that I'll go that far. That seems a little, you know, Howard Hughes ish putting Kleenex boxes on my feet or that kind of thing. I, that seems a little odd, but I, you know, talk to me in may. I mean, I may be to the point where I'm making full charts for a Madden game and sitting in front of my t v calling off a monitor a video game that's being played by a computer against itself it it, it could happen it's not there yet, but I could i mean there well and at it's some probably point, not... you want to do something to get to get sharp to stay sharp i mean yeah and I'll like, don't probably... need to do it right this second, but maybe sometime in the next couple of months when I haven't done anything, I'm gonna be you to do something.
0: It, it's it's probably a really great way just from like a building vocabulary, breaking habits of using words to constantly uh, type exercise because it just puts you in a contained environment to do that and only that. So,
1: Well, and especially if this continues into the summer and early fall and you know, we don't have preseason football, God forbid we don't have the opportunity to warm up and we just hit the ground running right. come fall for football and God willing we'll have football to hit the ground running for in the fall. Uh, you know, I, I hate to have this conversation in mid-March that football may be in jeopardy, and I'm going to assume and be optimistic that we're going to be just fine for that coming fall. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, there's if you're gonna if you're going to try to keep yourself in shape with no sports, that's the that's the only thing I can think of so far is to mock up a game or two and you know pretend while you're trying to you know test out something or do something different or just to kind of get into the rhythm of doing it again.
0: Kevin, if people want to find you on uh, social media, how do they uh, get
1: more Kevin Kugler in their life? Uh, I can't imagine anybody would want more Kevin (laughs) Kugler in their life. My my wife wants nothing more to do with me in her life. Uh, Kevin Kugler, that's just K-U-G-L-E-R. It's just my name on the Twitter machine. That's where you can find me. Easy enough.
0: Kevin, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. This was great. Joel, it was my pleasure. Kevin Kugler is our guest on episode number 170 of PXPCast. Many thanks to Kevin uh, for taking the time out of what would normally be an extremely busy schedule at this time of year, uh, but because of the situation we all find ourselves in, uh, he had some time. So good to, good to be able to sit down and talk with him. Kevin was a guy I've wanted to have on this podcast for a very long time, so excited that we had the opportunity to, uh, to sit down here for almost an hour. Um, when it comes to the situation we're all in, though, right now, There are no games. Some of us are working from home. Some of us are not working. Uh, Hit us up on social media. Keep the conversation going at PXPCast. Uh, Let us know what you guys are doing right now uh, to pass the time, to to pass maybe your newfound free time. Uh, Again, hit us up, social media at PXPCast, and uh, keep the conversation going offline. We will keep the conversation going next week on the podcast. Adam Amin is the first person to return to PXPCast. He is the first two-time guest. Adam Amin of ESPN will be with us next week. We've already recorded the episode, let me tell you. It's as awesome as you would expect. Join us next week for episode number 171. In the meantime, this is PXPcast. My name is Joel Gadet. The music is from Marshmallow. He doesn't know, don't tell him. We don't want to get sued. We are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.